Well, we told everyone there was going to be a major announcement, and here it is. It's Joker Men live at Zebulon. That's right, folks. Jokerman Podcast live in show and concerts coming your way very soon. Two days, just two days after the triumphant conclusion of Bob's three-night stand at the beautiful, storied Pantages Theater in Hollywood, USA. June 18th, Saturday, June 18th at 5 p.m. To be clear, we are not performing at the beautiful, storied Pantages Theater. We are performing at Zebulon. The beautiful, storied Zebulon Theater. (laughs) (laughs) At the Zebulon Zebulon Theater. And uh, that's where we're going to be at 5 p.m., June 18th. We're going to have guests. We're going to have music. Music will be a part of it, probably. We're going to have a live podcast recording. Might even have some special merch lined up for you. Really? We'll see about that. We'll yeah. see. We'll okay. see. Okay. See, there's there's surprises even I might be uh, <laughs> shocked by. The sky is the limit, folks. Who knows what surprises we have in store for you, but there's only one way to find out, and that is by buying a ticket to Jokerman Podcast Live at Zebulon. Link to purchase tickets in the episode description here. Saturday, June 18th, Zebulon, Los Angeles, 5 p.m., Jokerman Podcast Live. Don't you dare miss it. Uh, so I'm in uh, I'm in San Francisco, Tiff. Oh, is that where you live? That is where I live. Yeah, uh, Evan and I are both from Southern California, but uh, I have I've made my way to Northern California, and he is you're back in you're back in Southern California. Yeah, I literally just moved back to Echo Park yesterday. I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, where do you live in Echo Park? Uh, on Waterloo Street. It's like kind of right by okay. like the border of Echo Park and Silver Lake. Um, yep. So that's where I am. I used to live in Echo Park above this diner. I don't think it's still open called Happy Tom's oh, you, on Sunset. You, yeah, it literally just closed, I think, like recently. Yeah. Um, I just noticed that last night walking by. That Happy oh, really? Tom's is no more. Yeah, the sign on the door is like, sign on the windows <laughs> says, <laughs> okay. um, it says that uh, they, they'll gladly serve you at their other restaurants. They have oh, like yeah, right, got the rodeo yeah. grill. Yeah, Yeah, but I, I miss, I'll, be, I'll miss Happy Tom's because it has a great name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was great. Is Bright Spot still there? Bright Spot's still there, and it's still yeah. not very good. It's kind of reinvigorated, Bright Spot, right? Is it? Yeah. I yeah, remember they might have given they, it a new paint job or something. I think it's gotten like four new paint jobs in the last decade, and it somehow gets worse every time. Uh, before we keep talking about restaurants uh, for too long, <laughs> uh, I, I want to just say that this is Joker Men Podcast. Uh, I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today we're joined by uh, gallerist, extraordinaire artist in her own right it's tiff Siegfrieds. everyone welcome to the stew thank you for having me here it's a great pleasure to have you on uh, as we continue a, a really unexpected and strange development in the life of this show where people who are in the art world are coming out of the woodwork to talk about bob dylan with us oh yeah who else you have lined up let's see you'll be kind of the third here because we've got jake longstreth painter and uh and podcaster uh yeah i know we've had peter Shear on recently and now we have you do you need more people from the art world to round out yeah yeah we need (laughs) we need to get as many as we can in here okay because uh it's it's just an amazing phenomenon that there are people who are cool who also have this problem where they can talk about bob dylan for so long yeah, it's easy to find those people now. You know, I like feel like I found those people in the art world just by virtue of posting one Bob song in a story or something. 
Yeah. Yeah. You just post. You just post it. It's it's like moth to a flame. You you post about Bob, yeah. and they just they flood you. Yeah. Yeah. But you're Bob posting all the time now. I've I've noticed you just have like. Well, I go through phases. My posts are basically like listening to music on a shuffle and being like, "Ooh, that's a good song. Mm. That's a good song." And sometimes I like to kind of. People will be like, God, that's a lot of Bob. And then I kind of hit it harder, you know? <laughs> you've, got a, you've got a sick, rough and rowdy hat that I've seen you post oh, on Instagram yeah. before. That's so badass. Oh, my God. It was so great. I just saw him in Atlanta at the Fox Theater. Beautiful. And I had seen him like two weeks before in Dallas and got the Dylan hat. Do you guys have that? I've got the Dylan hat. Yeah, with the gold, kind of the golden font. The golden, yeah. yeah. And I was wearing that one for a few weeks until the Atlanta show. And then I was like, ooh, that's classy. You know, it's khaki and khaki. Like Army or Olive Green. Are they, so is that, that's official merch you're selling at the shows? Yeah. Damn, okay. Well, I'm I'm adding to my Bob I mean, hat my guess is sold weeks. out. It's so good. I also got this really hideous coffee, travel coffee mug, which I'll never use. Does it say one more <laughs> cup of coffee on it? Oh, I have that one too, but that's <laughs> You got that one for me as a, as a gift. I yeah. saw that you had that. Evan, we, we ran into each other before a Bob show. And we, we had on the same the, uh, scarf. The, the closest thing you can purchase to the, uh, the black and white checkered scarf, which I think we both had one that was like herringbone pattern. But um, I think... I think his real exactly one, the, the what's very funny and like an incredibly nerdy detail is that, of course, the blurry photo on the front of Blonde on Blonde sort of makes it look slightly like it's a herringbone pattern, but it's just a checkered scarf. Oh, really? It's like gingham. Yeah. Well, it's funny that we both interpreted that It's very that hard photo to get the, the exact scarf that Bob Dylan wore, um, the exact one. So I think we we did a good you job. Gotta get, you you got to get the jacket yeah, the suede next. jacket. Uh, I'll drop like $1,000. Well... I don't know if there is something called the Dylan jacket that this guy, Todd Snyder, makes, but it doesn't look very I just good. saw an ad for that today. Somebody was like, you should get that. You know, like, I just have to get all the stuff, but. It doesn't even, uh, Dylan it doesn't even look like, it's like a trucker jacket. It's not really. The, oh, I'm looking at this right now. It's not really like the, the blue suede it's jacket. It's basically like a jean jacket. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like, a, it's got like a sort of a Western look to it. Dylan and name only. Interesting. It's a thousand dollars, also. So, <laughs> yeah. This is my Sarah scarf. Do you? I guess this is a podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. You do have the Sarah scarf going. Yeah, yeah. I like to kind of adapt to all different aspects. Of <laughs> woman, the woman in white from uh, Ronaldo and Clara. There's yeah. like a, a whole episode to be had just about fashion and Bob Dylan, but um, which we'll we'll save for another day, I guess. But today we have to get. Uh, Headed to another joint. Uh, sorry. Well done. <laughs> uh, boo, boo. We have to talk. We're going to talk. We don't have to. We, we're choosing to talk about uh, Dylan's show from 1978 and more broadly, the Dylan tour of 1978 uh, because it's the closest thing to talking about Budokan more. And also, in a way, it's like the... Uh, you know, we talked about Rolling Thunder and then we talked about Hard Rain. And this is the Hard Rain to Budokan's Rolling Thunder. Because this, mm. this is like the second mm. leg of that tour. Further down the line in the year of 1978. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so we're talking about Paris, July 8th. The final night of three shows in Paris in 1978. Um, and it's a big, long show. Yeah. We don't have to talk about everything in it. We go through. Are you allowed to play bootlegs, or that would get cut out too? Yeah, we, I think that would fly. I mean, it. we play the actual music, and and it flies uh -huh. usually, just as long as no one in the Bob Dylan camp uh, becomes aware of this. So, uh, Jeff but Jeff Rosen, Columbia if you're listening, Records is like omnipresent. You they're know? pretty. They're pretty. They that's why their down. logo is that eye. It's it's like the all-seeing yeah. eye. Yeah. Uh, but before you. we get into it, I do want to just ask you, Tiff, like, what is your background and history with? with being a fan of of dylan at all oh well i i mean maybe it's not late but my parents were like evangelical christians so they were not like we didn't listen to anything that was considered secular music so as a teenager i got really into punk and then i was like bob dylan's not punk you know like wasn't cool True. for a while and then 
I don't know how I turned the page on that. Maybe I was like into beatnik literature or something. And I was like, it is cool. And then I got into all the 60s stuff, I guess like most people do. And then maybe there was like a, a period where I didn't go any deeper, but then I listened to that bootleg series from 91 that was like 61 to 91. Mm -hmm. And there was that You Changed My Life song on it, which I was like, this is the best Bob right. Dylan song I've ever heard. I was listening to the voices of death on parade. Singing about conspiracy, wanted me to be a fame. Working for a system I couldn't understand or trust. Suffering ridicule and wanted to give it all up in disgust. But you I was like, what is this from? So then I kind of started getting into that Christian period and like going a little deeper. Wow. But I take pauses sometimes because I don't want it, like, I feel like you want to keep saving something for later so that there's always new discoveries. Yeah, I remember those we have, days. We've completely <laughs> ruined that for ourselves. <laughs> it was nice when we had that to look forward to. The kind people at Columbia Records are going to keep stuff coming. Right, that is a good point. There's something coming in just a few days. By the time people listen to this, it will have been announced, but they're oh, yeah, teasing some something. Bob Dylan 60 on, his, on May Nobody knows what No it idea. Is. They're just posting random Instagram videos with no clues whatsoever. It says oh, wow. Bob Dylan 60. Like That's the hashtag. Um, yeah, it's like the 60 years since the first record, so maybe it's... Probably some kind of know. reissue, but it might be that thing with um, T-Bone Burnett. Burnett. Yeah, who knows? Well, um, we'll, we'll know. But even if they don't release new Bob Dylan music ever again, even if it were to stop completely, it wouldn't really matter, and we would still be able to talk about it a, a lot because our opinions about it change every single day, and we always <laughs> oh, yeah? like it. Just like going back to like what album you're into and like what era, like I feel like that just naturally informs what you want to talk about like we're on the cusp of reassessing our whole picks of like our top tens and top 100 and stuff and it's gonna it's like way different now than it was a few months ago so you're just gonna start all over again. yeah we're gonna get to the end of the show and then just go back to the beginning uh -huh. do you have any uh like like long time super faves in terms of like records or eras or songs besides like, oh. the, the big obvious stuff well i still i mean my favorite records are still saved and shot of love probably oh, yeah. but i i mean that is my favorite era which is like a nice tie-in to this like late 70s yeah stuff. Absolutely. you can kind of hear the insanity starting definitely you know or just like somebody i mean i don't know or the sanity not losing <laughs> mind but like this the performance shifting somehow yeah totally yeah I was thinking about that a little bit listening to the uh, the show uh, today, like just the, the common conception of like, it's the 60s, it's 1975, and then it's a big dark period up until 1997 when he comes back and like, yeah. it could not be more incorrect. Like this, this 78 to 81 kind of run, street legal up to Shot of Love, I think is like yeah. maybe his highest point. Or certainly yeah. one of them, in my estimation, at this point. It's crazy that all the the like reviews of Street Legal were just so um, like negative, yeah, rude. Until it was reissued, and I don't know, like I'm not that detail oriented, so I don't, I can't totally tell the difference between these two versions. Oh, the sound, the, the sonic quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah that seems to a be big, a major complaint. Yeah, people. I, I really, I, I haven't even like investigated that too much but even beyond that people, yeah, the they just hated, people hated i think the whole vibe like they were just like not buying it or a lot of people were right. mad Crazy. and of course that's like kind of the vibe uh to just keep saying vibe uh of what we have here <laughs> is like i was actually just listening to this really interesting interview i found on on youtube um that was from 78 and dylan's like super calm and cool and it like very open and mm -hmm. he is asked about the music, like the sound of the music at the time. Yeah. And, you know, he's basically just says like, you know, of the accusations or the, the criticism, like, Oh, it's, 
Vegasy or it's like schmaltzy. It's too slick. Yeah. He's like, well, what's wrong with Vegas? First of all, like, uh, I mean, like Merle Haggard plays in Vegas. Like, what does that even yeah. mean? And second of all, like, you can't win. You can't win. <laughs> I mean, you go, you go do something like Rolling Thunder, which we, which we did in small halls, smaller halls. We did play some big halls, but we also played many, many small right. halls. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Uh, and what do they say? They say it's too ragged. Mm-hmm. You know, they say it's just a, uh, a bunch of gypsies up there, you know, traveling on the road, playing with, with making no attempt to do a show. That's what they say. So what happens? You put on, you can put on, uh, uh, you get out of your street clothes and you put on something else and they say it's slick. Yeah, true. yeah. Right. People were sort of like all the critics were like so eager to criticize the mainstream in the 70s yeah. because that had become so predominant. But I read this thing where he's like, People are criticizing the sound, and he's like, uh, "A record is just a bunch of a document of a bunch of people in a room. You know, it's not like <laughs> thing uh, like like it is what it is. They were there for like five days or something. Yeah. They kind of sped through this album, but Changing of the Guards is like one of the best Bob songs. Yeah, it's all terrific. maybe the best Bob song. Yeah, maybe the best. Yeah, I don't know. What is that a hint about? What <laughs> you have to go back and write gonna... your list. Again. Yeah, we'll go. We'll 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 save that for the list. Okay. Episode. You mad? But man. yeah, you're totally you're totally right about that, Tiffic. And that's Bob's. That's always been his kind of approach to things. Is like he just gets in the studio because he has to get in the studio to make a record to sell the record because that's how the recording industry works. But his yeah. his passion is really playing these songs again and again and again yeah. to different rooms all across the country, all across the world with his players uh, and refining them, kind of perfecting them each and every night further and further. And he's doing it right up until today, which like we saw on the latest run of the tour, I think was the identical set list every single night. And yet it's still such a, uh, like the vibe and the energy and the spirit in the room changes so radically from night to night. So even if you're hearing the same songs in the same order, it's just a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, I like I love you guys go to a lot of shows. Lately. Well, we're trying to do as much as we can now because uh, statistically, it's important to do that now. <laughs> Don't say no, it. No, no, no. Don't say it. But that's what I keep saying. Like, <laughs> like I'm just gonna go as much as possible. And so is he. He's going as much as possible. Yeah. You know? It's so life affirming to see it. I've been going with this same friend. Um, who lives she lives in atlanta and she oh you met her too at this yes, cafe. At, she at, like flew up to new york to meet me to yeah. go to this show and she is not really into bob like any more than the average person and now she's just like so into that's it. i got her bob all the songs and she's wow. like reading it <laughs> that is really beautiful i think that's uh yeah. or you're you have some kind of gift because that's like hard to do it's just like get somebody who's uninitiated to be interested i i think you have well i had the right kind of person. experience where i took some friends in dallas and they were like when is he gonna play hurricane oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah about, about 50 years too late on that one unfortunately or, uh how long has it been yeah. since 1976 <laughs> 46 years too late but you listen to those recordings from from 78 and to be honest i'm like because I'm not super into the 60s stuff anymore, I never really go back and listen to that. Right. Um, it's like, it's great to hear the songs like reinvented. Like yes, all yes. I really want to do from yeah. all of those that whole series is like the second best Bob song, but only from that tour. It's so much fun. It's so much fun, yeah. Yeah, and Bob's ladies in the back. Singing, oh yeah, you know? beautiful, beautiful band behind him. It seems like we're, naturally segueing in to talking about this show and so let's let's go for it Ian let's hit it baby wow so we start off with uh picture this you're in Paris uh, France we oui. and you go to a Bob Dylan show Ooh la la. and uh you are holding your um uh the hand of amour, amour, amour. Your, the uh, yeah, the is sweetie baby. Your Pepe Le Pew, and you're at <laughs> you're at Bob Dylan's concert in 1978. You you're Pepe Le Pew, and you haven't yet been canceled for being coercive or something. <laughs> so you're still you're still on top of your game. If you're a beloved character, and uh, you sit down and uh, put your 
baguette under your seat, and then Bob Dylan comes out and he, well, the band starts playing before the Dylan band, even yeah. comes out. And what are they playing, Ian? Playing my back pages. isn't on stage you can actually hear in this in this recording which is there's the YouTube video maybe there we'll put a download link out there too you can hear the crowd kind of clap and get wild when Bob presumably walks out onto the stage after the band has sort of provided this like you know kind of like fanfare review yeah, yeah like like yeah. Uh, uh, like um, uh, it's almost yeah, like a late the, night like walk-in like or like yeah, a, exactly. or like a wrestlers like walkout song or something no, I think late night is exactly what it is. You, you picture, you know, uh, the band like playing Letterman out, and he walks out from the curtain and kind of like yeah. bows and like does his like little jig and then starts well, telling yeah. the jokes. Actually, I, I, yeah, late night is probably the thing to say because it does actually sound like a late night like band. <laughs> it like kind of the does. Sax, yeah. uh, there's like sax and um, it, it's very prominent and it, it has this kind of like smarmy but like really fun thing of just like. It's just blasting it, blaring out uh, my back pages, which musically is a great song, even without the lyrics. Like, it's just such a fun and like triumphant song. Yeah, melodically. Song. Yeah. And um, I, I think it's a great way to start the show. I would have been hyped. Really cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody sounds really excited. Yeah, there's they do, an yeah. energy in the air. Wee oui, wee, oui, magnifique. Wee. Oui. Um. And then he goes about playing a like two and a half hour, 30 something song set. Like this video, I'm looking at it right now, is stamped 221 on YouTube, and that includes like 10 or 15 minutes of lost music as well. So, like, this was easily a two and a half hour set or something like that. Incredible, just like kind of stamina to put this kind of show on yeah. night after night after night. This is the first or the last, rather, of five nights in Paris. So, just like being able to get up on stage and do this night after night is, I mean, I can't even imagine. Uh, and uh, and kind of gets into uh, gets into a, a set list that's pretty similar to what we had on um, Budokan, but with a couple key couple key differences and stuff. We talked initially about doing like a Budokan revisited episode, but like I think we said everything we needed to say about Budokan when we said it because we loved it and we still love it. Um, do you uh, do you have any general kind of thoughts or feelings about that uh, that record or just the sound of things oh. in general, Tiff? Of Budokan? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it's like the energy. Well, what's nice about this rec these recordings that aren't like the official release or aren't live at Budokan mm -hmm. is you hear like the audience also kind of losing their minds. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, they're more like in between you and the music. So you get uh, a stronger feeling. I guess, yeah, there were some songs on this that aren't like for Ramona it's not on Budokan right right yeah what are so. the other then there's the, the second or is it the first or the second song is like one I wasn't that familiar with it's um well the first yeah the first actual song that's being sung is she's love crazy right. which I think is a cover um sort of similar to those like um those uh, rave up covers that he was doing with Petty on like the 86 tour uh this is um yeah it's, a, it's an old blues standard 
I do have the list in front of uh, me. I was yeah. just looking it up. Um, yeah, so She's Love Crazy uh, is the first song, uh, and he's just kind of getting his toes wet. And then we've got Baby Stop Crying. Oh, so yes. good. Which is, that's the key difference here, is there's a lot more street legal material yeah. on this than there was on Budokan, which is why I think this is so much fun to listen to. Now, does Budokan, sorry, you guys probably already talked about this. Does that have like, do they edit it at all or it's like the whole show? It is edited, yeah, because it's, it's um, the, the, the record that we have or the, the record set that we have is, is performances from two different nights right. of the show. So I think they took most of the songs from the second night, but there are a few uh -huh. songs, like a third of the material maybe is from the first night and they kind of and were they around taking the... out the street legal stuff strategically you think or I think it just wasn't there I mean I can look that up right now but Budokan was recorded in February and street legal the record wasn't even cut until April of this year and this is July at this point so uh -huh. the record had just come out I think at but this the point. negative reviews were already pouring in. pouring yeah in. Exactly. and of yeah. course Budokan I mean hopefully you've heard it by this point if you're listening but it's like very slick it's very professional and it has a lot of sounds that are uh disco and reggae inspired and it uh it, it's not um it, it is i think you said the word refinement earlier in it's like it, it is a refinement it's like he went ahead and decided to make the sound more muscular it has these back backup singers there's flutes there's strings. Oh, the flutes, the, the are flutes really great. kind of make Beautiful. it. And there's like that, I think, is where like the street legal uh, feeling comes in. It's like, well, if what is street legal, but like, I don't know, there's something about it that is kind of like Elizabethan to me. Like this, uh, there's this kind of like weird, like medieval or like Shakespearean quality to some of like the lyrics and. Uh, yeah, the kind of the Baroque songs with the yeah. like fantastical, almost magical imagery. No time to think or uh, or guards. Yeah, changing obviously. the guards for sure. Yeah. And the flutes yeah. kind of are evocative of that. Um, yeah, in yeah. this funny way. It's like Renaissance. Um, Renfair rock. Renfair rock. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect <laughs> way to describe. That would be a great venue for Bach. And even Renfair, down to yeah. that. Well, I just hear, you know, like I miss, he used to play at these like county fairs in San Diego a lot. Mm -hmm, when I, mm -hmm. I never saw any of those shows. Earlier, I think earlier in the Never Ending Tour, like, you know, uh, like uh, early 2000s sort of thing. Uh, and, and even the nineties, like the, the hitting the, the county fairs thing was something that he was like really into, which again, I think goes back to his like longstanding obsession with the carnival and just being sort of a, a traveling performer kind of person. He was even talking, I, I was reading some sort of detail from uh, our friend Bjorner, uh, or Olaf Bjorner, the crazy bob head that we've consulted in the past, uh, who has like every single tour of every year documented in uh, great detail. At some point on this tour, he started, Bob started introducing a thin man uh, by telling a story of seeing a geek at a carnival oh, yeah. eat a live chicken. Um, you know, the geek from the, uh, the uh, song The Thin archaic Man, you know, form that of being geek, the, yeah, like, which is yeah, actually like what the, he says, he's, what he's referencing is like a, a person who would do a disgusting feat. Of, I yeah, basically just like a severely maltreated uh, person, possibly with some sort of, you know, uh, mental disability that was abused by carnival barkers. It was like jackass. Uh, a nickel. Before, before you had Steve-O, you just like went to see someone like Steve-O do that. And that was, <laughs> exactly. that was what he did. Just bite the head off a chicken. Yeah. Um, that was good. That was good fun. Anyways, I think, I think that was the lineage that Bob was following in playing some of the county fairs uh, all around the country throughout uh, the rest of his career. Um, anyways, Baby Stop Crying, first street legal song on the set. I, one thing that struck me on this is like it, like the street legal song, like obviously the big knock on Budokan and something that we love about it is the fact that it is such a wild kind of reinterpretation of, of the classics and stuff. But the street legal material here sounds pretty faithful to the way it sounds on the record. I don't know if you guys... Yeah. picked up mm -hmm. on that or like agreed or whatever but it, it um you know everyone gets pissed about like maggie's farm or uh, love minus zero um you know the crazy disco strings which again we love um but like there, you, there's very little of that on on any of the street legal material it's pretty straight pretty exactly you know kind of as it was put together yeah. and run down 
Well, it's like, that's the thing. It's like this, because it's a lot of the same players, right? Mm -hmm. That are like playing with him live and then the, the backup singers. Right. It's funny that like the songs that weren't on, you know, he, most of the songs are not street legal songs. It's just funny to think about this era as what, what these arrangements are is like the version of them that Dylan thinks would fit with the, the feeling of street legal. Which is just uh-huh. like says a lot about what even street legal is to Dylan, maybe. <laughs> that he's like, well, in the street legal sonic palette, you've got flutes, you know, you've got like reggae stuff, you've got sort of disco y f- feeling stuff, and it's all played really tight and like really hard. And like that's, you know, you know, it's like street yeah. legal, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the SLS, the street legal. So sound. yeah, it must have been like so second nature to him. And he's like, of course, this is how it should sound. And then everyone else is just yeah. like, first of all, I don't even know this album that well yet. It's just come out, <laughs> and you're telling me that all that you're doing all these songs in a way that's like, just like sort of meant to fit that feeling. But that seems to be like the thing that's happening in general, or like the beginning of it. Because I always think of those religious albums, like he's like two steps ahead of the band all the time. And he's like, come on guys, you know, like, like everything starts moving. He like moves everything so much faster mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Right. And it's just like getting like, it, I mean, I guess he still does that when he plays live. Sometimes you can see him sort of like, like steer the band a little bit or like, mm-hmm. you know, slow something down and speed it up. But like everything is kind of just like, like people chasing his, sound somehow or trying to keep up with him yeah totally yeah yeah and that's why i think it's so important like today that he has this particular like group of players and is so locked in on a particular set because like he's really chasing you know a a, like uh, a different kind of rendition of some of these songs like false prophet for instance on the on the latest tour is just like he's so far off the map from the recorded version and like it takes just like a fucking mind meld from all five guys on the stage to make that come off and yeah. uh, and sing the way that it does. Well, it's yeah. such an interesting thing to sort of consider for me is like what Dylan's doing now. If this is a refinement in 78 of like trying to make his sound feel contemporary or like feel, just feel fresh at the time, uh, then all these aspects of the 70s get folded in. Um, kind of ones that are basically like shag carpet to us now just kind of have like a quaint uh, anachronistic quality <laughs> and uh, now it's like what what he's doing is still a refinement of that and and yet it's like it says something about the time we are in now maybe what he is going after with something like uh, with rough and rowdy ways and this tour um, not to make it all about rough and rowdy ways but I got, I got the ways on the brain. You got rough and rounding brain now. I did you see any of the shows? Like, what was the tour called right before twenty twenty? In twenty nineteen, the I think it was just the ne- it was just still on the never ending tour. Just never ending tour. Yeah. Just the never ending tour. I saw him in eight eighteen. Was the last time I saw, that was the first time I saw him, and the last time I saw him before the one New York show I got to last fall. I had tickets to see him in Tokyo when, like, right as COVID was starting. Yeah, he that was, was that like a, person yeah. cancel. Like, it was the last email to come through in that tsunami of cancellations. Wow. Right. And then he just doubled down and booked another tour for that summer, which also got canceled. The man, uh, he's still on the road, as he says in, yeah. uh, in Tangled. Which, uh, speaking of which... Yeah, we're I'm just tr- we're trying to keep it moving here, brother. Um, oh, we got to keep going through this. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's a thirty lo- it's yeah, a lot it's of thirty songs. songs long, and we've gone through. Yeah. But the baby stop crying sounds great. I'll say. Um, yes. Then we got Mr. Tambourine Man, which is basically the the same uh, arrangement as on Budokan. Yeah, Tambourine Man, Shelter from the Storm, and Love Minus Zero come next. Uh, all of which are pretty pretty faithful to what we heard on uh, the Budokan results. Um, I will note, uh, out of those three, Shelter from the Storm was kind of most interesting to me here because he starts he starts doing that like up singing thing at the end of each verse that he does so much now. Uh, you know, um, uh, when he's singing live, 
but and it's not something that I had really ever heard him do too much, you know, in the past. But at the end of each verse in Shelter from the Storm, he Shelter goes, from he the goes, storm. yeah, exactly, yeah, he starts going up, um, off of, you know, completely in the opposite direction from the, um, uh, the recorded. And version. nowadays so it's like it's, Shelter from the Storm, Shelter from yeah, the Storm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's a different thing, but I think it's it's sort of um, can't do it. It's, it's it's the seeds of, of where he would end up going. It sounded pretty good. Shout out to from the, like, from the there's stone. There's that one little clip of the guy of Adam from The War on Drugs doing that song uh, from their new record, like the title track, where there's a line about seeing Bob Dylan and dancing to Desolation Row. Dancing to Desolation and, Row. And in this yeah. live like studio version, which I, I've mentioned this on the show before, but it's just so great. Like he he drops into a incredibly good little. Uh, Dylan voice and does that like latter day Dylan thing like yeah just like perfect so like well. 2006 era nasal bob tone yeah it's incredible and then we went to see Bob Dylan we danced to Desolation Road but I don't live here anymore but I got no we find ourselves at um Tangled the Tangled here Yes, that's one of the most significant, I think, uh, additions to this set that you don't get on uh, on Budokan is this uh, pretty radically reworked. Oof, my boy. I apologize to everyone out there. I'm getting over some sort of sickness. Not COVID. Remain undefeated on the COVID uh, uh, front, but uh, I, I'm going to sound shitty for the rest of the, this episode, so I apologize in advance. Anyways, Tangled. Incredible. Yeah, this is a great Tangled. Can we hear, so we can hear clips or we can't Yeah, we'll put clips, clips in. Stuff. I, I, th- th- this version of t- is so like, it's, it, it's like it's so kind of anti what you expect from this, or like what you like the reputation that you get on this cause, uh, uh, from this era of things. Because like I think when I think of Budokan, like the things that come to mind are really like Maggie's Farm, which is just this like raved up like disco ball version of this uh-huh. song. But Tangle, he takes it in the complete opposite direction, where like on the record, you know, the, the classic song is so like propulsive and kind of energetic and rambling along. And this one is like this is like a like a seventies downer version. Yeah, it of this. sounds like, like he's just like, like Desperados under the eaves or something. He really sounds like you know it it, it doesn't sound nearly as thrilling or uh, romantic. I think as it comes across on the oh, record, it's I, I much would say more it's romantic, of like romantic, but it's like a different yeah, kind of romance. It's like a like a soulful yearning romance it's like after the romance is gone yeah, yearning for the romance to return sort of thing i think i think it's great uh but it's it's really a radical kind of reinvention of the song mm-hmm. just like three years after the original came out 
Um, and he was playing it one way, like on the Rolling Thunder tour, obviously. Then we've got this. We're going to see it very different, like, uh, what, six years from now, right, on the real live version, which is a, a favorite of folks. The 94 version, you know, early 90s version, the, the jam, like, 11-minute one that we talked about earlier this season is another just, like, completely off-the-wall take. It's... I don't know what it is about this song in particular, but like he he always seems like he's searching for like a maybe it's you maybe could it's say he's heading song. for another joint. Heading for another joint. If we exactly. say that again, I'm gonna have to stop the show. <laughs> <laughs> you use that one on every. Episode. No, it's like a hacky move that like I'm trying to not do is do these like little soundbite like dylan lyric things but listen that's what radio is I, we've been looking at too much of that eric alper guy's twitter <laughs> this is like the biggest like twitter hack he'll just post stuff like it's like 25 posts in a row of just like what's a song that has colors in it what's a song that you makes you sad like what's your what's the best song to play uh when you're happy and people just, he's like, and then they're all Bob. You no, know, he's just guys? farming. Um, he's not a Bob uh, guy. He's engagement. just like an engagement oh. farmer. He is, um, oh. he works in the in, toils in the fields of in, engagement. Uh-huh. He's a, he's a I'm post farmer. I have a friend um, visiting me right now who she kind of also doesn't, is not a Bob person, but it's because her ex husband would like, he's a real Bob person and he would always say stuff to her and she'd be like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. And then like years later realized it was just all Bob lyrics. He was passing off Bob's lyrics as his own original comments. Yeah. just like romantic kind of, Oh my God. The gall. That is a a kind of, uh, dark darkness. Uh, there's something there that is, I mean, also it's, it's, it's exactly what Bob Dylan does. Um, (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's a good so. point that uh, reminds me we were talking before we started recording and we didn't actually get to this in the intro riff session but tiff you were saying that your son uh uh abhors bob dylan at least at the moment so. he, yeah well no he's coming around now but it coming was around. like real you know he was just too inundated and then his sister is named after uh a bob dylan song so oh. maybe it's slightly competitive you know that she has this real affiliation her name's hurricane (laughs) yeah yeah um (laughs) my favorite bob dylan song no uh uh yeah he so he hated bob dylan for a long time wouldn't refer to him by name he was just bd and um would just you know start screaming anytime it came on as if it was like an allergy I'm trying to be quiet in here so he doesn't overhear. He doesn't know that you're talking about BD. He can only handle it small doses now if he heard like this many times. He's totally going to come around at some point and realize like this is, you know, fall in love just as deeply as any of us have. But he's going to have like a, uh, like I, I got partly into Bob and like the weird ear, like portions of Bob that I'm so into because it was like a, a rejection uh, of my father's like you know kind of just uh, obsessive appreciation with the classics and stuff um it's 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 oh like the classics of bob, classics or? Of bob. yeah he's a 60s and oh, blood okay, on the tracks yeah. guy um blood yeah. on the tracks purist um but um uh he it sounds like your son's gonna have the opposite sort of thing because like you are so into like shot of love it's gonna be yeah. hard for him to rebel by yeah. getting into shot of well, love because you already love shot of love I could sneak in some of the like later albums because they weren't as easily identifiable as Bob. You know, like once in a while I could get like a few tracks. Yeah, you could lean on the fact that he's been like nine different people over the course of his life. Yeah. (laughs) The harmonica comes and goes. Sometimes there's a flute, you know, the saxophone. That would be really hard for him. That's a good point. Throw one of those, um, together through life songs in a playlist for what was that stupid one you were posting about the other day i mean that i just like completely forgot existed this dream of you this dream of you that's a fucking fake ass song that's not real yeah i was just thinking about like okay like what what is like the deepest cut uh dylan song there is it's this dream of you like an album cut from an album that is like an album cut like an (laughs) album that is like an album a sub album like, <laughs> together through life uh-huh. is not even one that like, I feel like people don't think about it as being wait what album what subcut album is it from together through life from oh. 2009 which I've, I've grown to really love but it is kind of like um 
it, it feels like it is just kind of a, an outlier and it's in some hard to point out way somehow like the exists. least notable bob dylan really it, yeah it just exists like out of time it's like not yeah, a 2009 it's record it's invisible. also not a bob dylan record it's just like in its own kind of sphere of reality is it one of these albums that was just like packaged like dylan it was or? a surprise and it was like a record he did with um robert, robert hunter, hunter uh, on some lyrics the songwriter of the grateful dead for those uh and yeah deadheads the poet laureate of the grateful dead and then yeah it's just like it's fun it has uh beyond here lies nothing it's a really good record uh, <laughs> it's you just put it on i'll say right yeah okay uh i'll save that so i have something yeah that's a good one to, to save for to sure life, you know you always need something. it's like the quintessential record that you would see like they, they would be selling it at Starbucks in 2009. Right. Oh, right, yeah. Just right next to like a James Blunt CD or something like that. Yeah. I've already yeah. forgotten the name of the song that I was just referencing. What's it called? Dream, <laughs> Dreamin' of You? This Dream of You. This Dream of You. And that's yeah. Dreamin' of You is fucking... Di- that's the one with the Harry Dean Stanton video. Oh, my God. This fucking guy. I forgot about Dreamin' of You. Classic. Um, well, then we have Maggie's Farm this and... Dream of <laughs> Maggie's Farm is just that crazy Maggie's Farm we love for Budokan with that like absurd descending thing. I feel like a lot, like some of the, and maybe this is just from listening to Budokan so much, and this recording is is pretty good actually sonically, but obviously like still sort of scratchy because it's not official soundboard, um, you know, record release. But it it feels to me a little bit like some of the disco, like really out there Vegasy elements of the Budokan sound have been toned down uh, by this point uh, somewhat. Well, in that interview that I was listening to they do talk a lot about the music we'll post a link to that in, uh, interview in the description you should, it's, we can it's really great drop a little audio in here maybe i'll put a little audio in he sounds so um it's one of those things we're listening to i feel like an idiot because it's like well bob dylan sounds very lucid and very calm here and it's like i've just been i'm always doing my dumb impressions of him and uh it makes me feel like i'm making him out to be some kind of clown man but <laughs> Of course, he uh, he is sometimes uh, more, uh, more of a clown man. Um, in this particular interview, he's very chill, and it seems like he really likes the guy and gets along with the guy talking to him. And they talk a lot about the music, and um, there is a moment where, on like the criticisms, or he's asked the guy grills him a little, and it's like if you knew if you were playing the stuff and the people didn't like it, like would you change it? And he, he was kind of like, I don't know. I guess I would tone it down a little bit, maybe, uh, and just to see if that would help people to get into it. But uh, he doesn't fully like. Well, I, he yeah. doesn't fully surrender that. He's just like, I would. He wants to communicate the songs, so maybe there was a little bit of tweaking based on uh, how m- mean people were about. Some of the, the but didn't people stuff. responded positively to the tour, right? It was just the album. The, they I mean, like. I think like people who were going to see the tour dug it, but yeah, the, the critics yeah. also pretty were pretty savage on this. They called it like the alimony tour um, because oh right, because he had all that money. Yeah, he needed. He, he, he even to. mentioned in an interview or something he, like, yeah, I had a couple bad years. Right. I got some bills to pay. My <laughs> my ex wife yeah. needs uh, money from me, but per the California court. Uh, and so he goes on this hundred and something day tour, um, and yeah. obviously with this big wacko band. This is his first. Also, I should I, I didn't realize this at the time, um, uh, but you know it's come to me in my little bit of research I was doing. This is his first time back in Europe since '66. Um, these shows. Oh wow! Um, yeah, that's which crazy. Should be like uh, I, I was like kind of going back in my mind like year by year. Like of course this is his first time back in Europe because R- Rolling Thunder was only in the states and um, mm-hmm. uh, the Before the Flood tour was only in the states. But like it somehow didn't dawn on me that like this was his first time since just like the absolute like deepest darkest nadir of like the the shit days 
uh, there as as documented and need to document. So well, also the highest and shiniest achievements of, of course yeah. his early years. Exactly, yeah, sort of a it's a it's a contrast. It's a land of contrast. Uh, some of the most uh, rewarding uh, artistic material ever uh, ever performed and recorded to uh, acetate, and some of just the absolute deepest shit vibes that any person has ever experienced. That's really interesting that this is like the grand return to Europe because like Rolling Thunder just feels so quintessentially American right. and every, everything about it is all about America and sort of like the, the whole bit with like the centennial, like being part of the mythology right. and um, th- this sort of like roving band of American uh, like, like almost like a, jug band or something i don't know yeah or like on a bus yeah exactly yeah and then this is like it's it's like he's going uh i mean it's right out in the heels of ronaldo and clara too where he's like trying to make like kind of like a european art film about like the with using whatever like material he had on hand he's like i'll make it's almost like he there's like some level of irony to it too like he thinks of it as like like you can't imagine that he would be offended, like you said earlier, by this like criticism of it being Vegasy. Like it's it all seems intentional, you know. It's like part of the shtick. Totally. Like yeah, or he's just that, feeling like the European crowd would just dig it. They would dig yeah, it. They simply dig it. Yeah. and like of course, I mean, it's like you know, like, you listen to like Serge Gainsbourg or something. It's like there's all kinds of like funky disco-y stuff happening flourishes and stuff yeah and it's like fun and and, uh the audiences do seem to be eating it up here which is like great it is notable though, like at the, because I think I think really this whole year seventy eight, which we have on Budokan, we're checking in here July seventy eight, and then we've talked a little bit like uh, about like the Los Angeles show, uh, which is from the fall. We we played a clip of that like when we did the Street Legal Revisited episode with Josh and Matt, where it's just the most insane coked out version of Changing of the Guards you've ever heard. Um, oh yeah, that one whole, is like almost scary. Yeah, it sounds like he's about to, you know, his eyes are about to pop. Uh, this whole year, this whole tour is sort of a story of him, like, kind of reining it back in terms of this, like, you know, big, let's put on a show kind of energy. And then at the end of this, obviously, he picks up the cross, the the Christian stuff starts coming out, and the band that he starts playing with in 79 is a really, like, lean, like, tight, like, cut down, like, the complete opposite of this kind of blown out, big, showy kind of thing. It's It's obviously Christian material. It's a very different sort of uh, um, lyrical subject. But in terms of like the actual players on that, that's a pretty like tight, you it's know, tight. almost I punky mean, kind of approach to the music making. It's funny to think about that really tight, exacting sound that you see take shape here a little bit, kind of be like, you. it's sort of like, well, I have this important message, so I need to like make a very uh, accessible container, a, a delivery service for it. I need to like... Make sure that my message yeah. is not lost. I have to be professional now so I can uh-huh. like, transmit the Lord's message <laughs> through through great <laughs> production. You mentioned uh, that you grew up in an evangelical household. Did your parents not vibe with the, uh, with the slow train and the save material? Well, I brought my dad to a Bob Dylan concert when I was 16. And wow. I remember I was like, I'm going to get like, really good seats for us you know like he basically was just my my ride to this concert he didn't <laughs> want chaperone. to go and um then like so i was like we're gonna sit really close and then we got there and he just went in the furthest away seat in the it was like a stadium mm-hmm. in ohio and he was just reading the whole time <laughs> i don't know, you know how much of it he actually took took away except that then he kept like bragging to his friends at like dinners like afterwards, like, oh yeah, Tiff and I saw Bob and he would do this impersonation of gotta serve somebody, Whoa. which, you know, Bob playing consistently for so long. He loved that song. So, but I don't think he realized that there was like more material right. there, right. you know, he just kind of recognized that that song spoke to him too. The message was perfectly contained. Got to serve somebody. It's funny because we were just talking about that on the episode about uh, Trouble No More, like the Christian 
era box set about how like a lot of people wandered into these shows and were something did get most of them like at least one thing would would still stick with you even in that era like people who didn't know what they're really walking into would hear that song for example and be like yeah this is this is true this is good uh-huh. The message came through to them. Yeah, some some folks. So. <laughs> it, it, it came through to everyone, uh, whether or not they were receptive to it. Some some people were, and some people uh, decidedly were. Imagine not. the complaints people who were waiting to hear hurricane <laughs> yeah, were exactly. filing. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you uh, so much for joining us uh, on uh, this first part of uh, return return to the '78 tour, everyone's favorite moment in uh, Bob Dylan history. Uh, Tiff, is, is, do you have any plugs? Any like you want people to follow you on Instagram or Twitter or anything, or keep an eye out? Oh, you might see a bunch of Bob in the story. I mean, that's the people that uh, that's the people that we have an audience of. Oh, great! Well, sure. If you like children and art <laughs> and uh, pizza, you could follow me on Instagram. There you have it. Um, Oh, you know, I forgot to mention. Oh, we can wait for the next. <laughs> there you go. There's a teaser, folks. Stay tuned for later okay. in the week. <laughs> Tiff's got something very exciting. Oh, that's <laughs> we really exciting, guys. Cannot wait to find out. Only on. Jokerman. You went down to the bottom with a bad man, babe Put your back back to the bottom Just want a friend get your talk to you. 